Welcome to First Up. It's Rahina. I know it's Monday again. Oh, 27th of February. Coming up, the CEO of the Hawke's Bay Chamber of Commerce will be here talking about distributing that $25 million pledged yesterday to cyclone-affected businesses. We're going to hear from a charity supporting children in need of everyday essentials too in the aftermath of Cyclone Gabrielle. And in Tairawhiti, people weigh up what to do with their silt-covered properties given how many times they've been hit. Everybody's going to need to plan ahead, maybe raise their houses, build a story under their houses or something, or move them. That's three major weather events this year alone. That's scary. your weekend. Good to have you back here at First Up. It's Nathan Rarity here and we kick off our week in North America and joining me now is News Hub's North America correspondent Mitch McCann. Morena Mitch, how are you? Good Nathan, I'm well thank you. How are you? Pretty good. So obviously we've had uh, quite a bit of rain and un- well crazy weather and they've had it in Southern California too. Tell us what's going on there. Yeah, they have. California, Nathan, of course, is somewhere usually Kiwis would associate with hot weather, palm trees and sandy beaches. However, it's been a cold and freezing state to be in in the last couple of days. This is the latest. More than 120,000 people, many of them in Los Angeles, are without electricity after this fierce winter blizzard, which meteorologists are calling a storm for the ages. Now, the snow, rain and wind have seen road closures and even flooding uh, throughout parts of California. And it's been very unusual weather in some parts of the state. Even the famed Hollywood sign has received a dusting of snow this weekend. Now, the conditions have even forced the closure of the famous Yosemite National Park. It could be days before that reopens. And it's been a tough 12 12 months for California, Nathan. 700 uh, buildings were destroyed by wildfires last year. Then parts of Los Angeles were flooded this January. Uh, And now this. And a brief look at the forecast before I came on with you this morning shows rain in Los Angeles through until at least Thursday, so a tough few days for those in California. Yeah, to- wow. That's uh, when you hear it snowing and it's on that Hollywood sign. That's that's hard to believe. <laughs> Mind you, the way the weather's going, it's not, which is which is the great shame of it all. So, um, tell me this too. Just some tragedy there in Nevada. A medical flight crashed. Uh, what's what's the story there? Yeah, well, that terrible weather has in California spread across to Nevada, a neighbouring state, where an air ambulance plane crashed about an hour's drive from Reno over the weekend. Now, there are still minimal details around what incident the plane was actually uh, attending in the first place. But on board the plane was the pilot, a flight nurse, a paramedic, a patient and the patient's family member. So all five people died in this crash. Uh, It was not known uh, for sure if weather was a factor in the crash, but at the time of the incident, it was minus seven degrees Celsius and the area had received 10 centimetres of snow. So still a lot of details to come out on this one, but nonetheless a terrible crash with very deadly consequences, unfortunately. Yeah, let's head to um, South America. Floods also in Brazil, quite a, a death toll there too. Yeah, a terrible situation in Sao Paulo State in Brazil over the last couple of days. The death toll uh, has now reached 57, official figures show, and massive downpours have caused landslides and flooding in coastal towns of the richest state since last weekend. Now, the Sao Paulo government has asked for tourists, obviously this is a very uh, friendly place for tourists to go, many Kiwis would have been there, not to travel there at the moment because they don't want to overload the hospitals, the roads, uh, the water and food supplies. Uh, So on Thursday, a Brazilian Navy ship also arrived in parts of the area to help victims. It will serve as an emergency hospital. It's equipped with helicopters and landing vehicles. Uh, So the government trying to help people in Sao Paulo State at the moment, a very difficult situation. And as I say, the death toll now uh, at around 57 people. 
That's terrible. I mean, and obviously many people in New Zealand now can relate to these stories going on uh, Mm -hmm. around the world with this flooding and what's happened. Uh, Let's go back up to the United States now. President Biden, so he's been talking about China's support for Russia in its war with Ukraine. Um, What's he said? Yeah, so he's done an interview over the weekend. I think this is a really interesting story, Nathan, because we're trying to work out what China's aim is in this war. On one hand, you have their foreign minister meeting with Vladimir Putin at the Kremlin at the end of last week. And on the other hand, China's saying they want to remain neutral in this war and they want to have peace at the end of it. But the U.S. is concerned that China is going to provide Russia with what it calls lethal weapons. In this new interview, Joe Biden says the U.S. would respond if that happened but does not expect that China will actually supply Russia with these weapons. What uh, responding means wasn't unclear. Biden wouldn't say. Uh, but perhaps China wouldn't want to do this because China you know, exports hundreds of billions of dollars worth of goods to the U.S. every year. Any sanctions from the United States could be devastating for China, but also China's political leadership. But it's going to be very interesting to see how this turns out in the next couple of months as it appears on the surface that China is becoming more friendly with Russia. I was always uh, one of those people who would buy something and think, oh, this, this might be worth something one day. Here's a gift that someone <laughs> got, which is, the, tell us about the woman who sold an iPhone for a record amount. Yeah, well, let's hope that you have an iPhone sitting around somewhere that you haven't opened because uh, a woman called Karen Green in the US, uh, this is the story. She got a new job in 2007 and to congratulate her, her friends, who sound very generous at the time, yeah. uh, pitched in and bought her a new original first generation iPhone. And while you might think this was a lovely thing to do, Karen wasn't interested. Uh, she instead opted to continue using her non-smartphone. Maybe it was, I don't know, too technological at the time. Uh, but over the years, it was stored away, and she thought it might be worth some money one day. And she was very, very much correct. At one point, she had it valued at $8,000. But over the weekend, she was blown away, where it sold for 63000 US. That's 102000 New Zealand dollars, over 100 times more than the original cost and more than any vintage iPhone before it's The bidder, though, Nathan, uh, remains anonymous, but they have a new iPhone. They do. They do. And now there's the dilemma. Do you unwrap it or not? Do you just hang on to it? I'm not sure we'll find out, I Mitch. Think- oh, sorry, mate. Yeah, you're good. Okay. <laughs> No, I think you hold on to it and try and increase the value even more, make some money off the thing. One of those, yeah. Trying to sell it in 400 years' time. Hey, thank you very much, Mitch. There it is. Imagine that is the family heirloom being passed down. Well, here it is. His great-uncle reminders, I find that he bought. Oh, we'll hand that in to be worth it. You can buy something with that. It's worth all that land you can see. It's 11 past five. The UK's Deputy Prime Minister, Dominic Raab, says that a Brexit deal for Northern Ireland is within reach. He says the government has made great progress in negotiating with the European Union. The UK is seeking to change an agreement with the EU, which determines which goods are checked when entering the country. The BBC's Ione Wells has this report. It's full steam ahead to get a new deal between the UK and the EU about how trade in Northern Ireland will work. Ministers suggest it'll remove checks on goods that will stay here in Northern Ireland and not go on to the Republic of Ireland and that Northern Irish politicians will get more of a say on future EU laws that apply to the nation. The Deputy Prime Minister, Dominic Raab, said these things would resolve issues with the existing deal, but dodged whether MPs will definitely get a vote on a new one. 
If there is a deal, can you confirm to your colleagues and also to our viewers that MPs will have a say, there will be a proper vote on a deal? Yes, MPs will, ex get the, uh, will have the opportunity to express themselves on the deal. Doing the right thing the right way for all communities in Northern Ireland, protecting the Good Friday Agreement, which has come under pressure from the Northern Ireland Protocol. Frankly, from a, if you ask about the politics, fulfilling our manifesto commitment on Brexit. Under the current protocol, goods from Scotland, England and Wales are checked before they enter Northern Ireland to make sure they follow EU rules. That basically creates a border down the Irish Sea. That's to make sure there's still an open border from Northern Ireland into the Republic of Ireland, which is part of the EU. The largest unionist party in Northern Ireland, the DUP, hate it. They won't go back into the power-sharing government here in Belfast until it's changed. They and some Tory MPs are still concerned the EU could ultimately have control over future EU laws that will apply in Northern Ireland. What we want is a situation where EU law is expunged from Northern Ireland so it is treated on the same basis as England, Scotland and Wales. Other Tory MPs are urging pragmatism. You know, we have to stop uh, thinking that if there's a deal that's about to be done, it means we've been done over in some way. Labour has said if Rishi Sunak holds a vote on a deal, they will back it, meaning it could pass even if some Tories and the DUP are not on board. If he's able to pull off a deal, uh, we will support it because we think it'll be an improvement on what we've got uh, at the moment. Let's look at the detail in the coming days, but all credit to Rishi Sunak if he does that. The road to a deal is in sight. It could come as soon as tomorrow, but political battles may lie ahead for Rishi Sunak if it is not enough to convince the DUP back into government in Belfast. Ione Wells with that report. 14, 14 past five, nearly quarter past here at First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarere, and the crew. We uh, expand that crew now up to the up to Europe. We're from Germany. We have Nita Blake Person. Kia ora. How are you? Morning, Nathan. I'm really well. How about yourself? Good, thanks. Tell me about this this uh, migrant boat tragedy in the south of Italy. What happened there? Yeah, some really awful news uh, overnight. We know that a migrant boat which was trying to land in Italy has sunk. Apparently it crashed into um, some rocks. There was rough weather in the area near the coastal town of Crotone in the, the Calabria region and this boat was really packed. Apparently there were more than 120 people on board when it broke up. Um, some people out fishing this morning uh, noticed the wreckage and so far the Coast Guard has recovered 43 bodies including a baby, so really awful there. At least 81 people on board did survive. 22 of those are now in hospital, and the mayor of the town says there's wreckage from this boat scattered 200 to 300 metres along the shoreline, and they've had landings in the area in the past, but they've never had a tragedy like this. Um, it's not yet known exactly where the boat had been travelling from, but apparently those on board were from Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, Pakistan and Somalia. And uh, Italy's Prime Minister, Giorgia Maloney, has put out a statement expressing her deep sorrow for the incident. She uh, is a relatively new Prime Minister. It's been part of her government's key election pledge to stop migrants reaching Italy on boats like this one and in that statement she really blamed the human traffickers. She said it was inhumane to exchange the lives of men, women and children for the price of the ticket they paid in the false perspective of a safe journey. So really tough news there today.
Yeah, let's keep it in Italy and also to, I mean, weather, weather news. We've just been in North America with Mitch McCann talking about floods and snowstorms there. We've had floods floods down in Brazil as well as the ones here as well. But different story in Italy, really, really dry around the canals of Venice. Yeah, usually it's flooding there as well that causes problems, but not this time. It's um, Italy's really had months and months of dry weather, right back to last summer when it had those extreme droughts in some areas. And winter hasn't actually brought much relief. The Alps have received less than half their normal amount of snowfall. The water levels on Lake Garda in northern Italy are way down to record lows and the Po, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Italy's longest river, which runs from the Alps right down to the Adriatic, uh, has just a third of the water that's normal for this time of the year. So it's not just the lack of rain um, that's affecting what's happening in Venice, but that is uh, reducing the fresh water going into the lagoon from all the nearby rivers. And you combine that with extremely low tides, and many of Venice's famous iconic gondolas haven't been able to get around. There's um, some pretty dramatic pictures of these boats just stuck and while they're waiting for the water to come back it sounds like getting on and off the boats is really tricky because the water levels are so low that you know you've got these huge leaps up or down um, so it's not quite the elegant tourist trip it once was right now. Now you have to get around on some form of laser scooter, a uh, razor scooter, I should say. <laughs> hey, it's been 12 months since uh, the Russians invaded Ukraine. Um, how, how has that been remembered in, in Europe? Well, there's been um, lots of coverage of the event marking this I guess anniversary. There were there were speeches from Volodymyr Zelensky, and then in the lead up today to the day, there were lots of leaders travelling to Ukraine um, to show solidarity. Here in Berlin, there have been several protests in recent days. There was a big one on Friday, uh, starting in the day, went through until the night. Um, apparently, more than ten thousand people turned out in solidarity with Ukraine. The the Brandenburg Gate was lit up with the blue and the yellow colours of Ukraine's flag. That protest. Um, when it was in the March stage, it walked past a, a wrecked Russian tank, which has been placed outside the Russian embassy here in Berlin for the next two weeks. And then on Saturday, there was another protest here in the city. This time, uh, estimated around 13,000 people turned out. And this one condemned the German government's supply of arms to Ukraine and called for peace talks to end the war. This protest uh, had some criticism before it even took place. A lot of people said it minimised Ukraine's right to defend itself. And uh, there were some pretty extreme views of those taking part, far right and far left. Some of those far right groups had told their supporters to show up. So there was quite a big police presence at the protest. It did seem to stay relatively peaceful, but there were some controversial speakers, some linked to COVID misinformation and other extreme views. So, yeah, German politicians, particularly critical of this movement, the Deputy Chancellor this week said anyone who is sane wants peace in this conflict, but that the organisers of this are trying to sell something as peace that, uh, quote, an imperialist dictator was imposing on Europe and that allowing that to happen would be an invitation to President Putin to invade other countries. So lots of lots of action, um, uh, you know, uh, from a range of views around this 12 months mark, but no closer to ending the fighting in Ukraine. No, and let's hope it does soon. Nita, thank you very much for your time out of Germany. That's Nita Blake-Person.
It's 20 past five. I'm Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. So between now and the end of the program, we're going to have Glenn uh, telling us soon about uh, the fruit and vegetables and uh, how prices are being affected there by Cyclone Gabrielle. And also we will hear from the Hawke's Bay Chamber of Commerce. So they've been given $25 million to distribute to try and help Cyclone help, help, uh, hit businesses. We'll speak uh, with them to see how they're going to divvy that up. There they are standing in the rear. Big ones, small ones, some as big as a We head off to the post cyclone markets. Now, please be post cyclone no more. Uh, it's time for our chat with the Minister of Fruit and Veg. He is Glenn Forsyth. Morena, Glenn, how are you? Morena, Nathan, very well. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, let, tell me about pumpkins, as they're known in New Zealand, or pumpkins in the rest of the world. <laughs> That's right. We've got a chance to talk about a magnificent new season vegetable. And how's this for its intro? Rich in vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. It is incredibly healthy. Its low calorie content makes it a weight loss friendly food. Nutrients and antioxidants to boost your immune system, protect your eyesight, lower your risk of certain cancers, and promote heart and skin health. We are, of course, talking about pumpkin. We talked with Pravin Hari yesterday evening from RC Hari and Pukakoi, and naturally he was working, third generation, and they have nearly hit the century mark in horticulture. He firstly made mention that even though they got a fair swag of water in their paddocks and pack houses, it is nothing what Hawke's Bay got, and he feels for them dearly. Certainly put pumpkin on your menu for the next few months, but a tip from the very knowledgeable Pravin for this season, it is unlikely pumpkin will see the year out, so make up your pumpkin soup this winter and freeze it so you can enjoy it in spring at least. And some people suggest to add any dairy or at thaw and reheat time. Now, other ways he enjoys eating pumpkin is roasting, which goes well with lamb. And plus, they like it with potato and meat in the crock pot. So do try that one also. But yes, like Coomera, pumpkin won't be around this Christmas, especially when the cyclone took care of the Hawke's Bay crops and also blew off pumpkin flowers in the Pukekohe district. But yeah, so pumpkin here, here now. You know what else? Spits. It's where you get the seeds and you roast them and, uh, sorry, you toast them there in the oven and you do them in a bit of salt. They're amazing. They're called spits. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, there we go. Right. Uh, yeah. Tell me about this sweet corn, though. Sweet corn's quite good good price at the moment. It saves waste on that seed one, too. Uh, yeah, sweet corn, Pravin Bay also mentioned there are good volumes of green cabbage this week, so hopefully the little ones won't mind the change of course to coleslaw over the next few days instead of a salad. New season washed potatoes are gathering momentum with white or red washed and some suitable for roasting or mashing. The smaller Oakley gourmet potato are in good supply, and so are carrots, onions, spring onions, and sweet corn, as you've said, hanging in there. Capsicums and mushrooms, they were in modest supply too this morning at the Auckland market floors. Fingers crossed a fresh shipment of taro and coconuts from the islands are clearing at the wharf today. Back to cabbage, however, and if you have time, go onto vegetables.co.nz and under A to Z, click on cabbages. There are three unreal recipes down the bottom. Green and red cabbage slaw is one, then an amazing pecan cabbage spicy mince wrap one using any type of your favourite mince. And finally, chilli, cabbage and onions to serve with pan-fried chicken or char-grilled steak. Now this one, serving six, turns cabbage into the star of the show, especially with all those fresh chilies, onions and ginger in there as well. Yeah, amazing recipes. Check those out. Mm, uh, tell me about five plus a day. What have we got for the coming month? Oh, before February runs out, Five Plus A Day mentions passion fruit as a February hit, but my word, are they selling to a hot demand? I even checked freshstore.co.nz online and you have to be quick. The lack of sun is not helping, so it's become a delicacy this season. However, simply cut in half and scoop or mixed with yoghurt, it's a treat. Now, for those of you that have your own very passion fruit vines at home, you're so, you're so lucky. 
The summer fruit is running out quick, and again, today, the better buy looks to be the golden peach and flat gold peach. A shipment of USA Naval Oranges, they've arrived. have seen some for sale around the $5 a kilo price point, and if you're an orange fan, these would be your best pick. But the fruit of the week last Friday, Nathan, apples, mm. that, that continues strongly into the marketplace today. I love your saying that it is the Toyota Corolla of fruit, and their value for money already is great buying. Genesis, about $3 a kilo. New Zealand Queen, $5 for a 1.5 kilo bag. And these are retails if you shop around. Royal Gala and Sweet Tango, they're also available. So let's buy apples and all eat one a day. Our Hawks Bay Warrior growers, they'll love us for it, and we certainly appreciate them too. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Glenn Forsyth. There he is, the Minister of Fruit and Veg. So we've got a bit of pumpkin around, a bit of cabbage around there, a bit of sweet corn too, and all oh, your apples. Get, get your apples. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Mm, it's the day of our life. We call the 27th of February. February. Goodness. On the start of 1964, the Italian government had a proclamation. It announced that the Leaning Tower of Pisa was in serious danger of collapsing in an earthquake or a storm and asked, asked for suggestions. That was in 1964. And that was what the tower said. Um, it's still standing. It is still standing. They actually uh, did some work on it around 1999, completed it in 2001, and it is still standing. I've never been there. Is it good? If you've been, is it one of those ones you're thinking, no, it's not good as tall as I thought. Did you do the uh, Did you do the funny leaning, holding it up picture? You gotta do that one. Uh, on this day in 1693, 1693, the first women's magazine called The Ladies' Mercury was published in London, England. And the men said, all right, those ladies, that's enough of that. Carry on, thank you. And they, four weeks later, they binned it. But anyway, that was the start of it. On this day in 1900, Bayern Munich said, let's be a football club. Let's be really successful. And they were right. On this day in 1980, the first and actually last Grammy for Best Disco Recording went to this song. That's right, Gloria Gaynor said, I will survive. What did she beat this year in 1980? Well, she beat Earth, Wind and Fire's song Boogie Wonderland. Here, wait, here come the drums. All right. But also beat Michael Jackson's Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. Donna Summer Bad Girl, that's my favourite. And Rod Stewart's Do You Think I'm Sexy, this song went to number 10 in New Zealand. It was number one in Canada, Ireland, the UK and the USA. Billboard magazine placed it at number 97 in their ranking of the Hot 100 all-time songs. Really, this song, though, leads the league in uh, the number one song to dance with your great auntie at, at a wedding, doesn't it? Everyone's up on this one. Come on, get up on this. Here we go. And the kind of the, almost like the, the, the chicken flap dance with the with the elbows up and down. That's what we've got. On this day in 1997, divorce became legal in Ireland. And in 2014, chaos erupted after a Swedish public employment service mistakenly invited 61,000 people to a job recruitment event in Stockholm. That only meant for 600, but they had quite a few thousand show up there at the office. <laughs> <laughs> Did you send this to everyone? Yeah. Oh, shit. okay, there we go. So that was in 2014, and there you are. That is the day that we remember as the 27th of February. It's business. It's business time. That's what you're trying to say. You're trying to say, let's get down to business. It's business time. It's business.
Giles Beckford has myriad topics to speak about this morning. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you, Nathan. Good morning to you all. Okay, well, let's have a look at this. Uh, people buying houses and the first home buyers have a bigger slice of the market? Yeah, it's been one of these things. Everybody's uh, going on about how the housing market is falling, but there are some little uh, silver linings to that. First of all, uh, it's scared off, obviously, a lot of uh, investors, uh, a lot of people who might have, uh, you know, owner-occupiers who might have decided to, or thought they were going to trade up uh, or possibly trade down. They've, uh, you know, stayed out of the market to a certain extent. So that means that first home buyers now have a bigger slice of the market than possibly ever before, about 40% of it. Of course, they are caught a little bit by that conundrum that while prices are falling... The cost of, of borrowing is higher, and being first-time buyers, they tend to borrow more of a uh, proportion of the housing, uh, the house price, uh, than uh, perhaps other uh, buyers would be. So, it it sort of swings both ways. But an interesting little fact of the of the housing market is that finally, first-time buyers are getting in there. They are getting in there in some numbers. Of course, the refrain we've heard for the past couple of years have been that. Yeah, the poor first-home buyers haven't got a dog show of getting mm. a house. Well, um, it would seem that they are getting in there uh, in some numbers now. So we'll wait and see on that. And, of course, the, the uh, forecasts are that the housing market has more to, to fall. Uh, probably for most of this year, prices will continue to ebb away. So... Um, it may be easier. The other thing I'm just going to have a very quick mention of yes. is buy now, pay later. And I'm just wondering whether buy now, pay later's uh, star is starting to fade. Uh, we're hearing from the credit agencies that there's a higher proportion of uh, defaults and people being behind in payments. Because a lot of the buy now, pay later consumers... Um, pretend it's wonderful because you don't have interest rates and you're not paying for it. Well, of course, if you default on it or you're behind in your payments, then they charge you a fee, which is an interest rate under any other name. But uh, some of the buy now, pay later firms are posting big losses. Uh, one, uh, there's an Auckland-based one, which is listed on the, the Aussie Stock Exchange called Layby. They're going to um, delist from the Australian Stock Exchange because it's just too expensive. Uh, for them, and it's just not uh, delivering any benefits for them. And more and more people are starting to wonder whether, in fact, there needs to be some regulation of it, uh, of the sector. And the talk is that there should be uh, perhaps credit checks on purchases over $600. Mm. So, once all in all, put it together, and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah it, perhaps it, it was a retail fad, perhaps not, but it's not certainly not the popular uh, stellar sector of uh, retail that it was when it first launched. So we'll keep an eye on that one, but it may be that it's just fading a little bit from popularity. Yeah, there we go. Giles, thank you so much for your time. You can hear more from our learned business team on Morning Report this morning at 10.27. To the money markets now, your New Zealand dollar kicks off the week in the following way. It buys you 61.6 US cents, 91.64 Australian cents, 58.41 Euro cents, 51.56 British pence, 4.2 yuan, and 84.06 Japanese yen.
Well, I would say uh, that the, the big weekend is finished, but it never does for sport, and it's uh, Joe Porter who uh, we've uh, attached. It's, it's like that, what was that, Clockwork Orange? He's just got his eyes held open looking at screens with sport on it. <laughs> Kia ora, Joe. How are you? Good, thank you. Yourself? I'm pretty good. Um, gosh, I had a lot of oval ball in my weekend. Tell me what was happening with the bat and the ball at the Basin Reserve. Where do we find ourselves today? Yeah, well, look, there's been somewhat of, you know, a bit of resistance put up by the Black Caps after a fairly uh, tepid effort in their first innings to be all out for 209 after, you know, England set 435 for eight declared. So again, that golf and class sort of becoming a little bit obvious or evident in the second test at the Basin Reserve. But uh, yesterday on day three, there was a bit of sort of, yes, fighting spirit from the hosts and they managed to scrape through to 202 in their second innings, of course, following on. For three, it's Stumped. So it looks like they're 24 runs behind England's first innings total now in their second innings. So it looks like they will make England bat again. They resume at 11 o'clock on 202 for three, trailing by 24 runs with Kane Williamson and Henry Nichols, who's due some runs at the crease. So look, it's day three. If the Black Caps can carry carry on and produce a decent total, um, bat all their way through to possibly halfway through day four, even a bit, even to the end of day four, and set England a decent target on day five to try and chase and make it competitive. England will go for it. We know that playing Baz ball uh, that could make a game of it but you know the 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 more likely outcome is that probably England roll through the rest of our order fairly cheaply today and chase down um, a victory target possibly even today so let's hope that the latter doesn't happen what happened we were like the best in the world three two three <laughs> yeah, years ago yeah. and everyone was going, oh look at New Zealand they do this and then we're like haha look wait till we get Devin Conway and then we had this mm. extra weapon and then yeah, that's I, about it. That's that's it. Has, has, yeah, look, Trent Bolt, we're missing him dearly. Yeah. It, would, it would appear, uh, as well as people like Ross Taylor who have slipped away into retirement. Kane Williamson hasn't quite been in the form that he once was. Tim Southey, who's been class for his career, is getting older. Uh, and then just we don't have that many good backup seam bowlers, and people like Henry Nichols aren't scoring runs, so the order's not going that well beyond sort of Devin Conway and Kane. So uh, yeah, look, the, the Black Caps things aren't looking terribly great for them at the moment, but hey. They're they're, they're 202 for three, training by 24. Let's make England bat again and let's make a fist of it, a good fist of it. Mm. Uh, let's get into, uh, there was plenty of oval ball on the weekend. I, in my notes I wrote, the best back I saw all weekend was Sean Stevenson and the best forward I saw all weekend was Joanna Nangwu. Yeah, Joanna Nangwu, how good is how good is she <laughs> playing at the moment? Those first two Man. tries that the Hurricanes scored that she's just Far galloping out. through people. How, you're not supposed to move that quickly. Not as a lock forward, hey, you're not. No, no way. It's I'm, not. It's illegal. It's do you know what fair. I'd be doing? I'd be doing that awesome thing where I drift out to the touchline and then I point inside me as if there's another tackler to take her. <laughs> you know, that one go, cover, cover, cover. Oh, that's, that's what you do. Everyone has ever played touch rugby and can't keep up. Yeah. Everyone knows that trick. You just drift yeah. out and point. Do yeah, the, I, had, I had the wing here. You know, make you the inside player work. You don't, yeah. you don't let the overlap. Of course, Nathan, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, Super Rugby, I mean, what we saw, I think, is that the Aussie teams are going to struggle again against New Zealand sides. Um, the Moana Pacifica and Drua game at Mount Smart was fantastic watching, and what, mm. a, what a close and wonderful result that was. And I can't wait to see Moana play in Apia for the first time this year. Yes. Um, the Blues looked really, really good against the Highlanders, and um, a lot of those guys in that Blues team, like Mark Tilly, will be putting their hands up for World Cup he spots so if they carry good. on in this kind of form. Um, yeah, good good to see there. And, of course, the Chiefs, the big surprise of the weekend, putting the Crusaders to the sword, excuse the pun, in Christchurch. Well, to, because you've seen the Crusaders trip up early in a season, yeah, and then, true. you know, they come back and do it, but not trip up and then just get 
you know slammed every single time further on the way through like the chiefs mm-hmm. were the chiefs were like a were like when Usain Bolt used to just overtake people and then just pull away by the end of yeah. it that was surprising to me to see that crusaders team get get that towelled up yeah, absolutely, and in Christchurch too, and yeah. there's a lot of emotion around that team. Perhaps they do. We were missing Sam Whitelock, who wasn't there. Their sort of talisman at the moment, um, and you know, the, with Robertson leaving, perhaps they sort of got ahead of themselves. Who knows? But the Chiefs, mm. nine All Blacks in their team, Damien McKenzie at first five. That's he's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, they're, they're looking really good, and Clayton McMillan. Oh, oh boy, he's he's looking like he's going to be a really really good coach. I really His rate that guy. Stocks are rising, eh? They mm. love him. Donk, mm. I believe they know him as. So <laughs> there we go. We'll get on to that later. Hey, Joe, thank you very much for your time, sir. There is Joe Porter off the. Sports desk. It is 20 to 6 and Nathan Rarity here at First Up in RNZ National. So between now and the end of the programme, we meet the head of the Hawke's Bay Chamber of Commerce. They've got $25 million of support money to, um, I guess, distribute amongst cyclone hit businesses in Hawke's Bay. So we'll, we'll hear how that's going to work. And also we'll hear from Kids Can uh, boss Julie Chapman as we talk about the thousands of young people struggling to get everyday essentials in the aftermath of Cyclone Gabrielle. <laughs> Time now to catch up with the professionals of Morning Report. It's Corin Dan with me this morning. How are you, sir? Uh, very well. Good morning, everybody. Uh, as you can imagine, we'll be across all the weather issues that continue to uh, batter the country over the weekend with mm. Northland and Auckland continuing to be in the firing line. Bit of rain in Gisborne. Uh, we'll check in there as uh, well. We're going to talk to Grant Robertson about this new uh, business package of grants to help businesses uh, get back on their feet That f- up to $40,000 uh, in that uh, East Coast region following Cyclone Gabrielle. A few other bits and pieces. We'll talk Three Waters with National Spokesperson uh, Simon uh, Watts, I do believe. Mm. Uh, they've got their alternate plan out. Also look at the jobs figures as well. And I know we've just covered the rugby, but we'll we'll cover that off too with Ant Strawn, former halfback. Get his perspective on how he thought the, uh, not just the results, but the, the speed of the game, which I is uh, encouraging. I liked it. It was good. It was good. Yeah. Um, well. Especially that, the uh, Hurricanes game. I know. My goodness, man. And the Gosh. 30 degrees up in Townsville running around, eh? <laughs> Boy. Yeah, yeah, tough work. Now, it suits, suits New Zealand, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, it does. we just got to get everyone else to do it. Yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> hey, cheers. Thank you okay. very much, Corin. Yeah, it was the best trick in the world that we did, making everyone think they needed to play like us. It worked really well for about a decade. Well, some tight Afiti locals are wondering what the future is going to look like, given how many times they've been flooded in recent months. Cyclone Gabrielle, of course, being the latest and most severe. Our producer, Matthew Tunison, spoke with Sue Kutia and her partner, Ray Tonoa, at their home just north of Tolaga Bay, and he filed this report. Sue Kutia is used to wild weather here in Tolaga Bay, but not for Gabrielle. You could have been as prepared as, yeah. but nothing prepared us for this. Sue's grandmother, Ruth, was killed in Cyclone Bola in March 1988. The 91-year-old drowned along with two other family members when the car was swept away in floodwaters. Two others survived. The wider whānau owns a parcel of land about three kilometres up the road. It took a hit after Cyclone Hail when floodwaters swamped their relocatable batch. Sue's partner Ray arrives with rescue dog Chip. All these dogs are rescued. How many have you got? We've got four here, but there's, there's actually five dogs on the He tells me whānau like to have turns living in the batch, which is off the grid. 
they're used to evacuating for weather events around here and sandbagged the batch up in preparation for Gabrielle. At high tide the water came in through the back way and it appears like mud just swirled around and around and around. It picked up tables, it picked up the fridge, it picked up stuff that's through everywhere and when the water dissipated it left that sludge. Uh, so we went down yesterday to take the latest lot of sludge out of our batch. It was pointless. You pick it up and just the, the mud just slips off the side of the spade. So it's not dry enough to move yet. We've just got to wait till it hardens up so we can remove the sludge in chunks. That's the only way I can th- see to do it because you, know, you have to do get in the batch by hand. It doesn't really hit you until a couple of days after mm. when everything's because there was still a lot of water. Mm. But it's not until that water recedes and you actually take it all in and you think, wow. Miraculously, Suzanne and Ray's permanent Tolaga Bay home survived the cyclone. We believe that because this place may have been untouched because of the trees, this was all overgrown and when my son bought it, they, he, he, well, he's a machine operator, so he took out a lot of the shrubs, but he left the trees. Yeah. So we, we think that the trees, because they can absorb quite a bit of moisture, yeah, yeah. so they took out, it takes a lot, they took a lot. But Sue and Ray's place is an anomaly. Agriculture is the lifeblood around here. But with the land now layered in mud, silt and slash, Ray's angry about the devastation that surrounds them. Because the vegetables are all gone, the pigs are gone, and so the place is devastated. We can't go back there. There's no going back there. Ray says he's worked for 16 years in forestry and as a truck driver. I blame the forestry. I blame the government for subsidising the forest in the first place driving the farmers out of the market. So they made farming economically unviable and then the farmers were left with no option but to lease their land to the forest companies who came in from overseas and they're the ones who caused the damage because the, the money was the driving force behind it all. They didn't care about the land, they didn't care about the repercussions further down the track. All they made sure was that bank accounts were filled. He says he has photos of Slash that date back years and nobody's done anything about it. The practices were ruthless Mm. and negligent, that's what I say. Can you explain this to me because I haven't been able to get an adequate answer. How is it that a company or a crew of forestry workers, whatever, can go up to a forest, cut the trees down, take the profitable logs, but leave these this huge amount of waste behind, including you know pretty big logs. How are they allowed to do that? Because at the end of the day, these companies are overseas companies. They're sitting from afar, yeah. just forking out dollars. Each contractor, subcontractor below that, mm. all has the same idea, just to get in there, make some money and get out. Yeah. And so what we leave behind us does not matter. Mm. Someone else can take care of that. But isn't it illegal? It's not. Is it not? It's not illegal. The government doesn't call it illegal because at the end of the day, they're getting money for it too. It's on the world market. You know, we're on the world market. So as long as the government who borrows $100 million a week from, from the uh, World Bank can pay off its bill, either way, whichever yeah. way it does it, as long as it can do that, it doesn't care yeah. about you know, the people at the bottom the, the, and the, the result yeah. of their practices. I asked the couple, who are uninsured, what the future looks like for both them and for the wider community. Bowler, along here, was a settlement just down the way were homes, settlements there. Over the hill, there were, there were homes all along here. It was a community all along here. Bowler, Bowler took care of that. Took, took it all out. Look, 
everybody's going to need to plan ahead. Yeah. Maybe raise their houses, build a story under their houses or something, or move them. You know, waterproof them in some way. Put it maybe an embankment mm. around the houses to mitigate the damage that could yeah. that's that's coming. I think there's a sign of things to come. That's three major w- uh, weather events this year alone. Mm. That's scary. Yeah. And summertime, goodness sakes. Ray Tonoa and Sue Kutia uh, ending that report there from Matthew Tunison. It is 1026. Well, businesses in the cyclone affected regions will be able to claim up to $40,000 to help get back on their feet through the $25 million fund announced by the government yesterday. So the money is to help businesses meet immediate costs, uh, further assist with cleanup, and boost business support and advice services. So grants of up to $40,000 per business will be distributed by local organisations in affected regions. So uh, it's uh, very good to be able to welcome on the CEO of the Hawke's Bay Chamber of Commerce, Carla Lee, with us now. Carla, thanks very much for being up early. So just take us through and explain to us all the the sectors that are most in need of support in your region. Uh, It's SMEs, so small business providers are the most effective. Those who have supply chain issues, who are predominantly affected, through their connection with horticulture and agriculture. So we're really looking at those small businesses that need some help with their cash flow right now. Right. So when you say small businesses, am I thinking here of like a bricks and mortar shop which might be in the middle of town or am I thinking of perhaps smaller self-employed style people that are involved in, in business? All of the above. Right. So anyone who is connected, who has been affected by this, but let's be sure that we're not double dipping into the MPI recovery fund that is already out there. This is a separate support package for oh, these okay. SMEs. Yeah, I mean, look, in- incredible to be able to have that. Um, I-, I was thinking too, what about those businesses that won't be able to make money for a few years? Because I would suspect that you've had a whole lot of vineyards wiped out, a whole lot of market gardens wiped out, and maybe orchards that need trees pulled out. Is that the case? Absolutely. Um, That is the separate fund that I was talking about. Um, They are mostly affected. So we're looking at, for that side of it, orchardists that perhaps have invested by planting these trees three to five years ago. They've invested all of the pruning, the looking after these trees. They were ready for payday now. Mm. And they've still paid the expenses but those trees are all gone. So what happens with them? They have to clean up their land, make it productive again, and then reinvest for another three to five years. So those are the businesses that are really hurting the most. Yeah. So so how will the Chamber of Commerce help to determine who gets what? Yep. So we've got a list of criteria. We're still working through that. So it's all hit very fast. Mm. Um, This is going to be a very busy day. However, we've got the criteria. We know what we're looking for. We're going to get applicants come through. They started as soon as the announcement was made yesterday at 1.15. And we will work out who is most at risk, who needs it the most, who's the most vulnerable, and work through the system um, very carefully. We've also got a very wide reach um, in Hawke's Bay. That's from Wairoa down to central Hawke's Bay. So we're across all industries. We also have the regional business partners um, with the Hawke's Bay Chamber. So our reach and attachment to all of these different industries is very wide.
Mm. Carla, huge job. Uh, it's, it's. I guess it will be nice to be able to bring uh, just some relief to people then. But then, I, I guess, does it almost feel a bit like you're like, oh, I know I can help you, but I wish I could give you 20 times more? Oh, totally. And, mm. and that's in many, many ways. Um, I spoke to my staff uh, last at the end of last week and said, you know, we all want to help. We all want to make a difference. We want to get um, behind shovels and help remove slip, um, silt and so many ways we can help. But we've got to remember this is our lane for helping as many businesses as we possibly can, keep them going and support them through this really hard time. Yeah. Well, Carla, thank you very much for being up early with us. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, Carla Lee, the CEO of the Hawke's Bay Chamber of Commerce. Thousands of young people are in need of everyday essentials in the aftermath of Cyclone Gabrielle. Uh, children's, charity kid, uh, children's charity Kids Can, always doing great stuff. They've launched an urgent appeal. Uh, CEO and founder Julie Chapman joins me now. Julie, thank you very much for, that, uh, for being here. So what's the biggest need right now and in what region? Oh, I think uh, Julie might have just uh, dropped off the line. I think Julie's there with us now. Julie, if you can hear me, what's what's the biggest need right now and what region? No, I think uh, unfortunately we've had a, a drop off here as well. Well, look, the the kids car- uh, the kids charity, sorry, kids can uh, is looking very much for uh, these. Uh, help- oh, hang on, we've got a. Uh, oh, we're going to try this. Okay, we're going to try it this way. I think Julie, if you can hear me, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? Okay, there we go. Right, we're going to do it this way. Here we go. Good old technology, Julie. The biggest need—the biggest need right now—and in what region? biggest need is for our food uh, for families that have lost everything and so what we've been doing is getting a whole lot of food into the Hawke's Bay and Tairafti and um, and this is part of our I guess our um, back to school effort um, but what we've been saying to schools is send, send that food home send that food out to families who are most in need and we will replenish those stocks. Mm. Uh, We will also be uh, sending out shoes and jackets lost in the flooding uh, and we want to make sure that um, of the 148 schools that we we support through Hawke's Bay and Tairafati that we can actually go to those schools and send them everything they need to replace those school items uh, once the once the time is right and they're actually back in the school community. You know, you know I've, it's been one of my things recently, I'm thinking, you know, the very wealthy could help here. And wonderfully, uh, the country's richest person, uh, Graham Hart, has uh, got in to help there. What, what help have you received there? Look, um, Graham is a, a, a very great supporter of Kids Can, but, um, you know, normally behind the scenes and many other charities as well. Um, but for this, he, he really wanted to kickstart the appeal. So he has donated half a million dollars uh, to kickstart that. And um, and also I know he's doing a lot sort of quietly behind the scenes with a lot of other organisations as well. So it's, it's pretty incredible to have that support to kick off an appeal. And I think it's, it's also really important to mention... Uh, to your listeners that 100% of this money is going to go to kids and their families. I think, you know, when people are sometimes looking for somewhere to put their money, it's, it's something in the back of their mind. So, you know, we have made the commitment that 
all, you know, every cent of these donations will go. There'll be no money going to cover administration or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, we're pretty proud that, you know, we can tell people when they donate, their money will go into food and clothing supplies um, for affected schools and children. Yeah. Well, um, thank you uh, very much, Julie Chapman there, the CEO and founder of Kids Can. And yeah, $15 there for that donation. And look, we're a small country and uh, that storm affected so much of the nation. So all of you have got someone that you know or that you know someone who knows someone at least uh, of that. And um, uh, no matter which region it is that's unfortunately been hit, uh, $15 can just be a, a huge help uh, for many people that are there. So big support there. There. And also, I think it's um, I think it's great uh, for uh, Graham Hart to get involved there publicly as well. Carl says, "I just don't understand why leaving forestry slash isn't illegal under the RMA. Uh, even minor runoff in subdivision development needs to be controlled. Surely, slash even more so." Yeah, Carl it was probably put in front of regulators a little while ago, and that's what they agreed on. Unfortunately, morning reporters next with Kim and Corin. First, that's back in your ears. Up, bubble.